What a wonderful Lord's Day this is. And it's amazing as you get into praise and you get into his word, what thrills us overwhelms all the fear and the anxiety and the stress that has come upon us. I'm Mark Reynolds. I'm one of the co-leaders of the men's ministries here, along with Steve Bolduck and Andy Collar and Dean McCaslin. And we want to welcome you again to this Sunday morning service. Um, it's just an amazing thing. As things are going on, everybody's asking the question, what's the new normal? <laughs> if, is this it, the new normal now? Is it, am I the new normal now? Uh, somebody once said, everybody's normal until you get to know them. Well, Jesus is always introducing us to a new normal. It's not just in COVID-19 time zone. It's all the time. The man who raised Jesus from the dead, the Lord God himself, always is introducing us to what is a new normal. Some of my uh, grandkids have been geocaching in the last couple of days. That's where you go out with a GPS on your phone and you try and find a hidden treasure that somebody has set aside. And Chase said to me the other day that he went out looking for it as if it was worth a million dollars if he found it. Well, I'm, I'm wanting you this morning as we get into the word to think of this like geocaching, but something more valuable than a million dollars is going to be found. And it will change your life more than a million dollars would. It's going to change your heart because what you're going to find is when you pursue God, the Holy Spirit will come within you. He will move upon you and he will transform and change your life. We're completing a series on blessing, living God's dream. Not blessing living my dream, but blessing living God's dream. And it's the principle of multiplication today. We're going to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're going to take that apart because as the songs we just sang, he is a God of miracles. And that's one of the most amazing things that he does is he has this principle of multiplication. James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by what I do. And it matters to God that we are a part of his body, that he is in attendance today, well, not so much in this building, but in you, the church. Well, you know what everybody's doing all across the world. They're still doing it. It started two months ago. We've been stocking up on things that are going to be in short supply toilet paper and sanitizer and canned food and bottles of water. It wasn't just about three months ago we were in Hurricane Dorian, my wife and I, in the Caribbean. And there they had the same sort of a problem with shortages. When the hurricane came, it overwhelmed everyone. There's no supplies enough to go through. There was no power. There were no credit cards. There was no money available. Banks were all closed. We don't quite have it that bad here, but it was a terrible situation. And what we discovered is you cannot manage a Category 5 hurricane's impact. Sometimes things just don't add up. And you can try and manage things, but in God's hand, things that don't add up multiply just fine. So I'm going to tell you first about another empty shelf story. This empty shelf took place some 2,500 years ago. And it's not just a story. This is the telling of an event. And the event is found in 2 Kings chapter 3 and into chapter 4. And it's the story of the prophet Elisha. And he comes upon a widowed woman that is her husband used to be one of his servants who was in his school of prophecy. 
And she was going to be sold into slavery with her only son because she had no money left. And the rule of the land was, if you're indebted to that extent, then you are sold into slavery along with your family, and you lose your household, and you lose all of your belongings. Some of you may be feeling that kind of pressure right now. And he asked her, what did she have in the house? What was available to her? She didn't even need to look. She knew the cupboards were bare. There was nothing in her house. She said to him, though, listen, Alicia, I'm too tired to even go look. I'm down to thinking about suicide. And he said, no, go look and see what you have. And so she went in and she found a little vial of oil cooking oil or lighting oil, I'm not sure, but it was olive oil of some sort. And she said to him, that's all I have left. And so Elisha turned to her and said, go outside, seek out all of your neighbors, ask them for containers, as many as you can bring, bring them all in and then take them and go inside your house and close the door. And he gave her instructions that she should take that vial of oil and pour it into each of those containers. And she kept pouring and she kept pouring, and she kept pouring. And all of those containers were filled to the brim. And he then turned and said to her, Now take and sell all that you have. It will supply all of your debt. It will cover all of your needs. You will not go into slavery, because this oil has been multiplied unto you by God himself. Well, how do you know that she actually trusted Elisha? How, did she, how do you know that she had trust in God? Well, James said, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And what did she do? Well, she went out to her neighbors and risked embarrassment. I need all your empty vessels. And they're looking at her. Honey, we know you. You're our neighbor. You got nothing. Are you going to bring them back? And she went out and then she further risked the embarrassment of taking these vessels and taking that little vial of oil and pouring it the first time, thinking I'm going to hear drip, drip, nothing. But instead, it kept pouring, and it kept pouring until she filled every vessel, and with tears streaming down her face, looking at her son, she must have said, we're free. The debt is gone. It's like Peter and James and John taking all those fish in that first time, and it overwhelmed the boat. Well, I'm going to take you through the story, which happens about 2,000 years ago. And again, this is not a story. This is a telling of an event that happened, and it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And so, Brian, if you want to bring those slides up, I want you to see that God's character is displayed and God's multiplying his blessings to us, that what we offer to him, when things just don't add up, he will multiply well beyond them adding up. Now, I've taken the liberty of taking all four of the Gospels and piecing them all together. So what we're going to read together, what's on the screen for you to see, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all pieced together. When John's disciples heard of John's death by Herod, they came and they took his body and they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew and said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. As they joined Jesus, they told him all that they had done and taught, for he had sent out the twelve two by two, giving them authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And they crossed the lake with him then over to Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida was Philip's hometown, and many people who followed them by land 
The crowds ran to meet him, and the Passover festival was at hand. So there were big crowds. And anticipation was in the air. And Jesus spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who needed healing, which brought even bigger crowds from the surrounding towns. And seeing all of them, Jesus had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him, saying, Send them away. Send the crowd away. Let them buy themselves something to eat. But he turns to Philip and says, Where do we to buy bread so that this many people may eat? Now he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread? That would not be enough for each of them to get even a little bit. And Jesus turned to him and said, No, I want you to give them something to eat. Tell me, how many loaves do you have? Go see. And one of the disciples, Andrew, that's Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here. He has five loaves of barley bread and two fish. But what is that among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. For there was much grass in that place, and in groups of 50 and groups of 100, and now this would be some 200 to 300 groups of people. They did so. And then Jesus took the loaves, and lifting his eyes, he gave thanks to his father. And he blessed the food, and he gave it to his disciples, and they set them before all the people. And as they ate, they all ate as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill and were satisfied, he told them to gather up the leftover fragments. And they filled 12 baskets full of the fragments. Now those who ate were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And when the people saw this sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet, the one Moses spoke of, who is to come into the world. And they said to one another, something greater than Moses and the manna has happened here. See, Jesus is at all times visiting his gatherings of people. He's here in your living room right now. He's here wherever you happen to be or in a church service when we return to them. And even with the few that we have here, four or five people, Jesus is here. He always attends to his people. So let's hit the story one more time. The 12 disciples, now this includes money-hungry Judas, self-centered Judas, and we'll get back to him at the very end. He had been sent out, he had sent them all out, the 12 disciples, two by two, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to lead the people to repentance, to heal the sick. He gave them authority to cast out demons and to change the course of people's lives. They were told to take nothing for their journey, that God would provide through the homes that they stayed in. And as they returned to Jesus, they had these most incredible stories. I mean, can you imagine them as they meet back up again on the way? And they're just saying, hey, did we tell you about, did you do this? And then as they get to Jesus, they learn about the terrible death of John the Baptist, that he's beheaded. Some of them began their ministry under John the Baptist. And they learn of this and they are deeply saddened all of a sudden. Their emotions are flipped like we were in January, February. The economy was great. Everything was going good. And then the next thing we know, we heard of death after death after death. And that we couldn't be together anymore. We were isolated and cut off. 
Well, they too, they were saddened. They began grieving. They were confused, discouraged. They were tired and they were hungry. They needed a restart. And Jesus said to them, let's go aside for a while. I can see just looking at you, your engine, check engine light is on. (laughs) So he takes them aside to the region of Bethsaida, where Philip is from, and he gathers them there so that they can rest, regroup, recuperate. And the people see them go across the lake, and all the multitudes began to follow in droves, thousands of them. And Jesus could have simply refused to teach. He could have refused to heal any of them. He could have said, this is a really difficult time we're going through. We're going to hunker down and and retreat unto ourselves. But it says in the scriptures that he saw all of them and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd in need. He saw them as if they were family. Now, living here in Maine, we know what it's like to get up really early in the morning when you have to travel. For here in in the central Maine area, if you're going to take a flight out that's going to go almost anywhere in the country and you're going to leave from Portland, Maine, the flights are usually 6 a.m., which means you got to get up about 2 a.m., which means you didn't get to sleep but maybe two hours at night because you were packing and all the last-minute things, getting the kids and everything ready. And so you head out in the car at 2 a.m., you get to the airport two hours early because TSA, well, not anymore, but (laughs) there's nobody at the airports anymore. But TSA is there saying be there two hours early. So you get there, you go through all the screening and through the lines, and then you've got a two-hour wait before you get on your plane, and you are exhausted. And you are going to go from what should be a non-stop flight of three hours to wherever you're going, or four or five if you go entirely to Los Angeles. But it's going to take you all day because of delays and because you miss a flight and because of everything that goes on in life. There's delays in life. And we know what it is after a day's travel to be tired. That's how the disciples felt that day. They had been ministering to crowds. They had been so excited. Anticipation of telling Jesus of the good things that had happened. But instead, they learn of John the Baptist's death, and they are immediately discouraged. It's like missing your flight, missing your connection. Well, they missed their connection really big. And so Jesus begins that day, though, with them, the disciples, and with them, the crowd, and he begins to teach them because they need to know about the kingdom of God. The shelves aren't empty. There's much there. And as he begins to teach them, it's not like today where he teaches from 10 o'clock until 11 o'clock and they all get to go home. 11 o'clock rolls by and Jesus is still teaching. 12 o'clock rolls by and Jesus is still teaching. And he's beginning to heal the sick, cast out demons, lay hands on people who are frightened and anxious and worried. And it gets to be 4 o'clock. And it gets to be 5 o'clock. And the disciples are listening to their stomachs grumble, and they're going, hey, is he going to do anything about, like, we came here for a rest? Well, that's how they were thinking. Jesus, you're pushing it. God, what are you doing? It had been a double shift almost. Well, let me ask you a question. How's the media making you feel right now? At the end of the day, are you still watching the media? It's gotten to you, hasn't it? You're tired. You're depressed. You're anxious. You want to put it all away. I want to go back to the the normal I used to know. But Jesus is never taking us back to normals that we used to know. 
I know, layoffs, you can't trust the government, you can't trust the economy anymore, you can't trust the elections, and yada, yada, yada. There's anger and there's factions out there everywhere you look. And you're now beginning to ask the same question that the disciples asked. Jesus, do you care? I mean, how is this all fitting into the plan? Well, John 10 says on verse 13 to 15, and I don't think I have this slide up there, Brian. He says, he does not leave the sheep to the wiles of the wolves, to the schemes of the devil. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him because he is the good shepherd. So Jesus turns to Philip and he says to him, who was from there, by the way, from the town of Bethsaida, and he says a testing question. He's going to ask them a question that he's asking of us today. And he asks one of us, where do we get bread so all these people may eat? How are your resources doing? How's your bank account looking? How's your time off looking? What are you doing with your day? How can we do what God's will is in these circumstances? How can we do what God's asking us to do? So Philip could have replied, well, I know where all the local shops are. I'm from here. Sure, send them out there. There's Joe's place down here. They have curbside takeout. And, and they've got these other shops over here that you can have it delivered. But Jesus said, I want to see your faith at work. Because he had sent them out two by two for at least a couple of weeks taking no money, no bread, and he said, my father will provide for you. The correct answer from Philip would have been, Lord, you know where we're supposed to get this from. You can provide. It was only just a short time before they were at a wedding in which the wine ran out and he turned water into wine, an absolute miracle. And a wedding feast that ran out in the middle of the wedding feast on the fourth day Jesus arrives there had to go on for three more days. And God supplied that need. But Philip wasn't sure. Jesus wanted them to see even further. There is no way on our own that we can solve the problems that face us. Today, as it was 2,500 years or 22,000 years ago, on their own, there's no way we can serve God. So he had them seated in groups of 50 and 100. He wanted to make sure that they had a clear picture of the problem of supply and demand. There's no way we can feed all these people. When we have problems that we can't solve, the Lord is present. And he is willing to take care of them. And as the disciples looked over the crowds that they had seated in these groups of 50 and 100, they were seeing a mass of people even more overwhelming than they first thought. There were 5,000 men, but there were also women and children, crying infants, tired kids. They've been sitting there all day. You know what it's like on the plane flight. Please don't get me to that seat next to that one. Well, now what? You've got like six feet apart, so there must be seating everywhere that you could have space. But this group was looking to Jesus. That is this group of disciples, the 12, were looking to Jesus to find out, God, are you all words? Or are you also actions? James said, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And he's leading them. And so he interrupts their life that day with this challenge. Jesus was going to care for the overlooked, the tired, the poor, the needy. He was going to use ordinary people, you and I. As we go to our neighbors and we see them struggling, 
Some of you have gone out to help them. Some of you have said, I don't have anything left, but my shelves are bare, but I still know that you've got a need. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says in the Living Testament, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is God's generosity. This is God's character on display. He is never stingy with his gifts. Now, do you suppose that each disciple who agonized over the shortage of only having five loaves and two fish just a moment earlier now wondered as he blessed the bread and the fish, um, um, Jesus, are you done? That was an awful short prayer. Um, you still just have five loaves and two fish. Um, what are you going to do? And Jesus said, you feed them. Now, this is the miracle part. I can't describe it. I can't explain it. I don't know anybody who can. <laughs> Except that as he divided that to them, he said to them, you feed them. And we're going to take just a little moment to look at that in a bit. But he was thinking of the scripture of Isaiah 55 that says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase of the harvest of your right relationship with God. They were about to see what stewardship looks like, not ownership. It wasn't their responsibility to provide food for 5,000 plus. It was their responsibility to be stewards and distribute it. And this is important. So, Brian, this is where we're going to go to the other slides because the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus essentially said to his disciples, it's in your hands. You feed them. You take care of them. You love them like I would love them. You be generous like I am generous. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. This is Romans 12.1 in the message version. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work or, or not going to work. And walking around life. And I want you to place it before God as a living offering, a sacrifice. Because only what is given away can be multiplied. Now we've talked about the tithe in our previous part of this series. And that the tithe is a gift that's returned to God. It's not something we give away. It's already his. But the place of generosity, finding your comfort zone, your home and God, is found in offerings. Because he is a generous God. It's his character. And something must be blessed that is given to him before it can be multiplied. That's the principle you need to see. So how do we know that the disciples, like the servant of Elisha, the widow woman, how do we know they believed Jesus, that they could feed 5,000? Well, they said all the people in groups of 50 and 100. People must have said, what are you doing? Well, we're going to feed you. And so they served the people what was given to them to serve. And here's the crazy part. It multiplied in their hands as they served it. Now, a lot of the stories I've seen show Jesus multiplying and tons and tons of bread in his hands as he blesses it up. No, no, no. He gave it to them. And as they went, it multiplied in their hands. Because as God gives us what he gives us out of his generosity, it's to be multiplied in our hands as we give it away. 
Just as they had carried out their previous mission under God's authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to cast out the demons, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, so he's asking us now, give your heart first to the Lord. Let him fill your life. And then, give your finances. Offer them. Your livelihood. You're going to work. You're every day getting up. And then watch that be blessed of God. Because we give over and above that which is shared so that it is multipliable. It's true today as much as it was in that hillside in Galilee 2,000 years ago. Well, what went on that day? And as they each received the bread and the fish, they actually received this portion, one-twelfth of the five loaves of bread and two fish. And as I said, they must have looked at that in their hands and gone, He's kidding, right? <laughs> but as they turn to go and do what Jesus asked their faith to trust, it multiplied in their hands. And they went to the first group. If I'm, my math is correct, and I'm a math teacher nowadays, it means that of two to 300 groups of people, each of the disciples went eight to 20 times and did this with that single first portion. And it multiplied in their hands. They watched it. I'll bet they were speechless. And what did it feel like that day as the crowds were going, wow, this tastes like manna from heaven. <laughs> were they thankful? Did they ask the disciples, where'd you get this? We're from around here. There's nobody that's been baking this much. Because when God displayed this generosity and compassion, he showed them that what is given to God first, freely offered, is multiplied, just like the widow's oil was multiplied. And when we trust him, and when we act on it, he will give clear evidence of his love and presence. Now, let's get back to Judas for just a moment. He's the one disciple that didn't quite get it. He was the one who held the money bag tightly, pilfered it. He thought, I'll get by in these tough times, but it means I have the right to steal. Well, this miracle would eat at Judas, for the rest of his life, like a cancer. It grew until that night, just before Jesus is going to have the Passover, when Mary anoints Jesus' head with this expensive perfume that was worth 200 denarii, same amount that they said they could feed the 5,000 with, maybe. It ate at Judas because he said, I don't get it. You're willing to give your life away and not make us kings? You're willing and asking us to trust you? But then I see this breakdown of blessing that it's not just for me. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon, I think we said in the previous series, is a word that means riches. It means an attitude of the heart that says, I don't need God, I'm self-sufficient. I want it my way. I like what you have to say, God, but I got my own ideas. And it's all in the planning. If I plan and plan and invest and invest, I'll build up my reserves. I'll set up my reserves for a rainy day. I can make it through COVID-19. I got enough in the bank account. You don't need God, just trust in the riches that are in your account. Mammon is basically, it's the spirit of the world that says, and that spirit is a liar. Mammon promises those things that only God can give. 
Mammon says, I'll give you security. I'll give you significance. I'll give you identity. I'll give you independence. I'll give you freedom and power to overcome all of sin's brokenness. COVID-19 won't touch your household, Mammon says. I got it. Well, Jesus faced the same temptation in the wilderness. Wealth that tries to replace God rather than serve and worship him. Matthew 4, 1 to 11 says, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their wealth. And he said, I'll give all of this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. See, Mammon says it can insulate us from the problems of life. Money is the answer to every situation. Now listen, money and mammon are not the same thing. Money itself is not inherently evil. We can read in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But mammon says, take. That was Judas. God says, give. Mammon is selfish. Wait, this is mine. God's generous. It's yours. Mammon says, if you had more money, people would listen to you. If you had more money, you could help more people. Mammon says, we need a miracle of influx of money, especially at these times. I'll tell you what, I don't have much, but let's buy a lottery ticket. Let's, let's do contests. Let's substitute. Mammon says, substitute for God. You can get by on your own reserves. When we think most of our problems could be solved with more money, it's a sign that we're under the influence of mammon. If the problem you're experiencing right now, even in COVID-19, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. If you're experiencing problems that can be solved with money, that's not your real problem. Your problem goes deeper than that. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Return to me. I'll return to you. But you say, how shall we return? Have we left? Have we robbed you of what's due? And God says, you are robbing me. And how, you ask? I will tell you, God says, you're under the curse. For you do not bring the whole tithe and the offerings into the storehouse. So put me to this test. If I will not then open the windows of heaven for you. And I will even rebuke the devourer for you. Each new day of living brings a test. Not of my ownership but of my stewardship. It's not how much money or resources that I have or we have that matters. It's who it belongs to. God uses things, stuff, ours and others as a test, just like he did that day on the Galilean hillside with Philip. He tests our hearts. He wants to know what's inside there. What kind of trust do you have? And how we respond to somebody else being blessed well, that says a lot about the condition of my heart, too. It's no coincidence that tenth, the Tenth Commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. To covet is to set your heart upon it. God doesn't care if we have stuff. He cares if stuff has us. I'll tell you much about a person's heart. That's what's important. And so God chooses to focus his attention there. Now, there's a spirit of pride that's out there, too. It's a companion of mammon. It compares yourself with others. I'm, at least I'm not as bad off as they are. And there's a spirit of poverty out there that says, I want what they have. It's not fair I don't have what they have. That opens the door for me to steal. My son's a, a police officer in Florida. 
This whole last two months, all he's been dealing with are break-ins and stealings and domestic violence because the pressures are getting bigger and bigger. People are getting more tired and more tired, and it's becoming all about me. Both of those, pride and poverty, the spirit of it, they're companions of this spirit of mammon. But gratitude and thanksgiving, they're the only things that acknowledge that when times are tough, God has not changed being good. He has not ceased being the good shepherd. God's grace bought our freedom. Deuteronomy 8.18, as we're coming down to the end of this, says, and you shall remember it is the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, and he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. God examines the true condition of our hearts. That's what he's always been about. What will be multiplied rests right there in my heart. So Jesus chooses to attend our church services, to check out our heart. He chooses to do it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and on payday Friday. He's still checking. Where is my identity tied up? Who do I trust? And I'll tell you, God never tires of meeting our needs. He never tires of meeting with us. He never tires of multiplying his blessings to us. We're his family, as much as those people on a hillside. Generosity is a seed that he continues to sow at our houses, in our hearts. With every revelation from God, there is a required response from us. If you see that God is trustable in these last three months, he's asking for a response. Trust him deeper. Don't quit now. Endure. What is God's agenda? <laughs> then look on that Galilean hill one more time. Like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. He saw them not as interruptions or as intrusions or as people who are in irritation and they don't believe like I believe. He saw them as family and he met their needs. So I want to thank you for joining us this Sunday. I want to thank you for being with us as we take a look at God's desire to show his character to us, which while he is a holy God, he is a generous God. God so loved that he gave. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, so thank you again for joining us today. I'm going to close in prayer, but before I do that, I just want to remind you uh, about our midweek fellowship. It's going to be happening on Tuesday night this week at 6.30, so we'd love if you would join us uh, on Zoom. We'll send out the link, but it's going to be... It's going to be awesome. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are good. I thank you for this word that you brought forth today. I pray that you'll help us as we uh, go about our weeks, Lord, as we, um, as we just are in your presence and we're, we really don't have much else to do besides uh, go after you. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of your people. And I pray that you will help us to um, just remember who you are this week. Lord, we pray that you'll just bless every single person. And Lord, we do pray for our service next week that you will allow it to be where we can come together, even if it's just in the parking lot, God, to, to fellowship together and to worship together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. Have a great week. 
Enjoy, and we will hopefully, if everything goes well, see you in the parking lot next week. Have a great week, guys.